All right, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 14. Uh, we left off in 14 last week, but uh, so go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew 14. Um, have you guys ever been in a situation where you have done something kind? Have you, uh, where you've, you've been good to someone um, and then they return with rejection of you? Uh, maybe, they, maybe they've told you you're a terrible friend, or even worse, in my opinion, they told you that what you did wasn't good enough. Well, we're about to encounter something much like that with Jesus, where he, as a good provider, performs this miraculous providence, um, and, and he gives to, gives to a crowd of people, but it's not always received rightly. It's received, but not received the way it should be. So where we left off last week was uh, Jesus heard of his cousin, John the Baptist, being murdered by Herod the Tetrarch. And uh, after, after he hears that, he goes off and he goes to a desolate place to be by himself, to mourn, to be sad. And then when he, when he gets to this desolate place, it turns out a crowd has followed him. And instead of being annoyed by this crowd, like... You know, I would, or probably anybody else, Jesus has compassion on them. And that's where we pick up. So verse 14, uh, verses 14 through 21, let's, let's read. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who, who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to see three things today. Uh, we're going to see God's heart for people, Jesus' heart for people. The, uh, the apostles' heart to give to Jesus' plan and the crowd's heart in receiving Jesus's providence. Uh, so the first thing I want you to notice, I want you to, to, to see um, in verse 14 what happens. Jesus sees the crowd and has compassion on them. Uh, last week, we talked about that gut-wrenching feeling of, of, of a moral conscience, right? Where your moral compass, uh, you know you've done something wrong, and, and you just get uneasy in your bowels, and, and, and uh, that, that, that conscience either makes you repent, or like Herod, uh, it, it, it makes you do horrible things, because you'd rather save face than do what's right. Uh, this week, we're, we're seeing the word compassion, which is the Greek word uh, Um and, and that actually means, it's translated as compassion, that's right, but, but splankna, the actual root word, is, is literally inward parts. So, 
So when we read that Jesus has compassion, it's a different sort of gut-wrenching feeling. It's that gut-wrenching feeling of just being moved to mercy on these people. It's almost, it's almost like when you hear of someone in need and the idea of not helping them starts to make you sick. You ever had that happen? You ever met with someone, maybe, maybe you, you find a homeless person and you try and have a gospel conversation with them and just hearing of their plight makes you want to provide for them. And when you try and convince yourself, well, they're just going to take my money and they're going to do horrible things with it and they might buy drugs. And as soon as you start thinking that, you just feel as if your intestines decided to resituate themselves. That's, that's the sort of compassion that Jesus has here. He, he feels for these people. Even in his mourning, he feels for these people. And, and he satisfies their needs. He heals them, right? First and foremost, he starts healing the crowds. But then as it starts getting late, he provides food for them as well. Praise God that he's so faithful to his own character. That, and, and to his own promises of, of, of being good, that he's mercifully compassionate, that he's, that, that, he, that he's moved in his very being to provide aid to the hurting. But not just the hurting, also the hungry. See, in, in verse 15, where we read that, that reflexive pronoun, um, I, I kept, kept reading that one phrase in every commentary, and I thought it was just really funny. It is a reflexive pronoun, but, but it's like if you, were to, if, if you were to say, you know, hey, I know you're hungry, but go feed yourself, right? Uh, it's it's that, that reflexive yourself. When, when, we, when we read, the apostles say, let them go buy food for themselves. See, that was, that was the apostles' heart at first. It was realistic. It was logistical. We don't have enough to feed all these people. Look at them. There's more than 5,000 people, 5,000 plus uh, women and children. So for 5,000 men plus women and children. So go buy, let them go buy food for themselves. Don't keep them in this desolate place. It'll take them a long time to get home. They might be starving by the time they get home, Jesus. The crowds were hungry. And, and the apostles, hey, they're being logical. They only have so much. And so they go to Jesus and they say, tell him to go away before, before this gets bad. Maybe some of these people in the crowd, maybe they had problems with hangerness, you know, where it's, they don't just get hungry, they get hangry. They get angry and hungry. Um, there's people in my family like that. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe they're, they're expecting this hunger to drive these people to do terrible things. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's a real and logistical issue. They don't have enough. They've only got these five loaves and these two fish. But then in verse 16, Jesus declares that the disciples are able to feed the crowds. Just look at, look at verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. He's, he's, he's telling them that they're able, that they're capable of doing this. But being the the logical people that the disciples are, they, they go, what are you talking about? Uh, you give them a crumb? Like that wouldn't feed a mouse. We only have five loaves here and two fish. But even though they didn't have enough, Jesus had planned to feed the crowds. 
If we were to turn to the parallel account in John chapter 6, you'd see in verse 6 uh, that, that uh, the plan that Jesus had and the reason Jesus said this was actually to test his disciples, to prove them, uh, to, to um, basically make them succeed, but by succeed in trusting in what he says. Uh, that would be a good way of putting it. Test. Test doesn't mean, hey, I'm setting you up to fail, which is how we often take the word test. But in this case, testing means to prove them, to prove to them that Jesus is able to do this, to, that Jesus has, has this heart, this care for this crowd in front of him. Uh, in verses 18 to 21, we see Jesus actually satisfy that need when he says, bring, bring it here to me. Now, the, the food, if we also read in John chapter 6, we find that this food is actually a, 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 from a little boy. Um, we find that this boy only has these, this food. Uh, oftentimes you hear this explained as this was the little boy's lunch. But, but, but that actually doesn't make sense because a, a loaf of bread in the, in the Jewish mind is actually um, uh, supposed to feed three people. So this wasn't the little boy's lunch. This little boy would have had a feast to himself. Imagine the, imagine the lunch sack his mom sent him with to this thing. No, most likely what this was was that his mom had given him this food and said, hey, go take this to the teacher and his disciples. You know, go with that crowd, go, go find the teacher, give it. It was probably a form of offering that was being given to Jesus. And so when we read in Matthew 14, we read that the, this is the disciples food we only have. It's not wrong. It's not, it's not misplaced from John's account. So just know that the little boy's lunch was not probably for the little boy. The little boy's lunch was probably for Jesus and his disciples, which if you had a loaf of bread that fed three people, and you had five loaves and two fish, that's about 15 people's well-rounded meal. So that makes sense. So Jesus commands the apostles to, to give up their food. Bring it to me. Bring it here. Now, an important reminder I want to interject here. We've, we've had this conversation before, but, but I want to bring up the, the doctrine of God's aseity or his self-sufficiency and self-existence. Um, we've talked about it before, but it needs to be reminded again because there are oftentimes you hear this sermon where, where the disciples needed to give uh, the, the food to Jesus so that he could feed the 5,000, 5,000 plus but Jesus doesn't need them to give him anything. Jesus didn't need their help uh, to create the world, to create the stars, the planets, the moons, the animals, the seas, the mountains. God didn't need anybody's help. He didn't need it. God's nature is such that he needs nothing from men. Psalm 50 verse 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Or as Paul puts it in Acts 17, when he's uh, talking about the, the, the shrine, the, the uh, image made to the unknown God, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it being, being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So 
Jesus didn't need the apostles to give him this food. He didn't need it. He could have, they could have failed the test. They could have been like, well, no, this, this is ours. And Jesus could have still fed the crowds. Yet God delights to include his people. He delights to let his people participate in his plans. A couple examples. Esther, which is, ironically is a, a book that does not mention God once. Uh, but Esther 4.14, we have Mordecai, who's Esther's uncle, asking for Esther, the queen's help in saving is the, the, the Jewish people. Um, and he, he points out that even if Esther doesn't help, relief and deliverance will come from another place. And he means that God will provide relief and deliverance even if Esther fails in providing aid to her people. Or another example of, of God's invitation to let people participate in his plan, in Luke 19, we have the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming in. The crowds are praising Jesus. They're singing his, singing his praise, literally. They're waving palm branches. They're, they're welcoming him, him in as this messianic conquering king. And the Pharisees say, shut up your disciples. They don't say that literally, but they tell your disciples to be quiet um, as if the whole crowd is his disciples. But Jesus responds to them in Luke 1940. He says, I tell you, if if these the people, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. God does not need anybody's help in doing what he plans, but he invites people to engage and participate in his plans. Like in Matthew 14, 16, when he, he invites the disciples to give. And they, like the other examples, do obey Jesus. They joyfully submit to their master's heart of compassion. They know their master. They, they, they know that he's capable of healing people's illnesses, uh, of casting out demons. They know he's capable of all this stuff. They have faith. They trust him. And so therefore, they, they submit. They give their food away. All of it. Their whole meal. And in that, we actually see the apostle's heart we see that they're, they're willing to give what they have for Jesus to accomplish his plan. Again, not that he needs it, but he asked for it. Sure, Jesus, I'll give that to you, of course. See, Jesus can take what we have, no matter how little, and care for as many as he intends. Uh, I had a conversation recently, um, and this is kind of a kind of... It upset me. I had a conversation with, recently with a pastor who's, who's over a really successful church, and he asked me, how much hope do you think Toledo has? How much hope do you think the congregation has? And this is after I said that we, we went from pre-COVID, about like 20-ish coming on a Sunday, down to like 15 after COVID, and then we've kind of hovered around that point. And so he said, how much, how much hope do you really think Toledo has? Like, do you really think they're ever going to uh, be able to succeed um, do you think they're ever going to be able to do anything? And it made me think rather, rather angrily of this section where I, where I, I, I said, listen, God doesn't need lots of people to do what he wants. He just wants a few willing people. So um, I'm going to give, I'm going to spoil my application here. Be willing. Anyway, so, um, but God, but Jesus can take however much, however little people are able to give, and he can do exactly what he intends with it. 
When the apostles said they only had a little, they only had enough for themselves, their own band of merry men, they were completely right. They only had enough for the 15-ish. They didn't, they didn't have enough. But in God's hands, that little could, could go as far as God intended it to go. And even actually provide extra. I mean, that's just remember, they gathered those basketfuls at the end. God can take even a meager meal for 15 people. And if you think about a loaf of bread, right? Like if you sat down and ate a whole loaf of bread, would you be like, man, I am set for the day, right? You wouldn't really think that. But, but, but that's how the Jews thought at the time. I mean, I suppose it depends on the loaf of bread and the type of bread. But, but they were right. They didn't have enough for all 5,000 people. As long as you're willing to give to God for his purposes, not yours, then you'll be amazed at what he actually accomplishes with what little you've given. And I struggle with actually, I struggle with saying this truth because I, I was exposed and, and, and corrupted by early, uh, when I first became a Christian, I was given several books on, on the so-called prosperity gospel. And so when I hear the, the, you know, God can multiply your small thing, I think, sow the seed of faith. I think, I think all these horrible, heretical, awful doctrines. And I, I, I have trouble expressing that there's actually an air of truth in what they say. That God can take even a little bit and he can be honored. He can be glorified by it. We could, we could turn to Mark chapter 12 and see that actually with, uh, with the widow giving her, her two small copper coins, a mite, two small copper coins. And, he and, and, and Jesus praises the widow, not because of the amount that was given, but because of the amount of trust she had that God was worthy of what she had. So, we, we, we see here that Jesus is able, he's willing, he's able. And we see here also the apostles' willingness to give. As long as I remember that Christ does not need my participation, but, but enjoys my participation in his plans, I think, I think that, can, that can steady my struggle with the so-called prosperity gospel, where I've, I've already exploded from the pulpit several times about the heresy that is the prosperity gospel. I will spend the rest of my life declaring that men like Benny Hinn, uh, like Joel Osteen, like Kenneth Copeland are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they should be, that we should cut them from TV. In fact, if we're tempted to watch them, we should cut the cord from the back of our TV. But remembering that Jesus doesn't need the five loaves and two fish, but he invites the apostles to help, I think that would free me from that theology, and I think that would free us all to remember that God does not need you, but he likes to have you. We should have a heart like the apostles, that when Jesus says, bring them to me, we just give. We don't argue with it. We should have a heart like Jesus, who, when told that he had to give up his own life to save sinners, he was willing to do it. And so I want to ask, how willing are you? Are you willing to surrender what you have to Christ? All of it? And if not, what's preventing you from being like the apostles here? It's not like they carried a whole, like, refrigerator on their backs. It's not like Judas was walking around with a Kenmore 
and a, and a, and Peter was carrying a diesel generator trying to keep this thing going. This, this was their food. They lived on this. This is what they had. And Jesus says, give it to me. And they're like, okay. And they give it. What's holding you back? If you're not willing, then you do not have the heart that the apostles have, nor do you have the heart of Christ. You have the heart of the crowd. Now, what do I mean by that? If we turn to John chapter 6, we find that, that the same instance happens, but John provides a little more clarity. Uh, John, John gives us uh, a whole discourse on the next day, starting in verse 20, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had, there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So Jesus had walked off and they thought, oh, maybe we can catch up to him. Maybe we can get him. This is the same crowd. Other boats from Tiberias came near uh, near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? As if they weren't already following him, just to make that clear, like, hey, how did you beat us here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, the crowd went after Jesus, not because they wanted Jesus, not because they wanted to follow Jesus, but because they wanted to follow where the food was. They, they wanted to get from God, not give to God like the apostles had. The apostles were happy to give their food because they trusted Jesus, but the crowd, they wanted to get more. Yeah, this Jesus guy, he can make more food for us. We never have to go hungry again. This is amazing. But Jesus goes on. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, whom he has sent. Now, what's sad and really condemning is Matthew does not include this. Why doesn't Matthew include it? Because these people rejected Jesus. Now, if you think back to Matthew chapter, chapter 13, we had the parable of the, of the different soils, right? We had, we had all these different soils that, that, that responded differently to the gospel. And, what, and Matthew is structuring his gospel significantly more thematically than John. John is thinking chronologically. You know, the following day, these same people came to Jesus. But Matthew is linking all of chapter 14 with the parable of the sower and the parable of the soils. Because in the parable of the soils, you have four different types of soil. And of those four, only one of them responds. And in Matthew chapter 14, if we look at the, at the various miracles that Jesus does, 
There's four different types of miracles, and yet only one of them responds. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But, but I just want to point that out, that this is a really thematic thing. What we're encountering here is people that are getters from God, not givers to God. Uh, they're like the people mentioned in the parable of the soil in Matthew 13, 20 to 21, which was this. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They ate their fill. Oh, this bread is so good. I'm so glad I have it. I'm so glad I came to see Jesus today. This is so yummy. Oh, fish. I love fish. This is incredible. They received it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. In this case, Jesus went to the other side. And they just wanted to follow Jesus because they wanted more of that bread. And the moment Jesus convicts them of their sin, what do you think they do? Do they think they go, oh, I am, I am a lowly sinner. I am, in, I am deserving of condemnation. God, I am humbled before you. I need, I, I need your forgiveness. I plead for your salvation. No. No, there is no mention of that. Why? Because Matthew wants you to understand with his closing of these verses that they, they, they ate their fill and they were done. By omitting their acceptance of Jesus and just their acceptance of God's providence, Matthew is showing us of the crowd's rejection, their, reject, their, 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 their ultimate heart, where they want to get from God, they don't want to give to God. Now, if we were to read on in John chapter 6, we would read that, that, that Jesus applies this situation uh, to, to the bread of the wilderness. Uh, when, when, when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, uh, wil to the, the wilderness, God gave them manna, which appropriately essentially means, what is this? But he gave them bread from heaven. He fed them. And if we were to read the account, it comes to a point where, where they, they don't believe that Jesus is actually going to provide for their needs. And so they gather when they're not supposed to, and they store it when they're not supposed to. And then it gets, it gets rotten, and there's worms in it, which makes you think, were there worms? Like, were there eggs of worms in there the day before, and were they eating it? Is that how they got their protein? Anyway, that's kind of gross. But, but there were worms in it, and it rotted away, and God condemns the Israelites and says, I told you, I told you, do not gather on the seventh day, but rest. Gather extra on the sixth day so that you can rest. So here we have, uh, uh, in, in Matthew 14 and in John 6, we find the desolate place. We find the wilderness, essentially. We find this bread that Jesus is distributing, although it's a one-up because he also gives fish. Um, but, but he calls, in, in John 6, he calls the mind of these people back to the bread from heaven, the manna. And just like the Israelites, the same crowd is indignant. They, they, they don't give praise or thanks. They just eat until they're stuffed. Like me on Thanksgiving Day. And they, 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 they want more. They're not satisfied. And they don't, but they don't give praise or thanks to God. They just eat. 
And this, this also, if we, if we were to read, read the account again, we're supposed to remember that God is able to provide for the feast. For those of us who are New Testament believers that are Christians, we should also be thinking of the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. We should be looking forward to that, knowing that, hey, if God can, if Jesus can feed this crowd, then, then he can also feed us at the marriage supper. Those of us who love and trust and adore God, those of us who, who want to give to Jesus's mission, who are more like the apostles in heart than the crowds, then, then we should be thinking, we should be remembering this marriage supper of the Lamb. And that'll be a day when we all eat our fill, but but instead, like the song said, whom have I in heaven but you? We, we look forward to Jesus, our true fulfillment. We praise him, we thank him, we sing to him, we adore him. Why? Because we've been given a direct invitation into the, into the banquet itself. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, John is commanded to write in Revelation 19.19. 19. So I would challenge you this week to read John 6, 22 to 59, at the end of the chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, 59, the end of the section, and then uh, the explanation in 60 to 71. I would challenge you to read that. And I, I would challenge you a couple of things. I, I would challenge you to examine your heart to really think, do you, do you have a giving heart like Christ who's willing to give yourself up, to give, give up your own life for the, for the glory of God because of the compassion, that gut-wrenching, the, the, the splunkidzomai, the, the, the gut-wrenching desire to show mercy to those around you? I would, I would encourage you to examine your heart uh, to see if you have a giving heart like the apostles where you're willing to sacrifice what you have to the definite plan of God. But I, 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 I think of 2 Corinthians 9 uh, where, where God loves a cheerful giver. He's, he's, going to, he's going to respond to the amount that you give, yes, but not in the prosperity gospel way. What, what, what he's saying is that God is going to take care of you. If you are willing to give to God's mission, if, you are going to, if, if you're going to respond to Jesus' call to give, then, then he's going to take care of you. You have to have a heart like Christ filled with compassion. You have to have a, heart, a giving heart like the apostles willing to sacrifice what you have. And most importantly, you must not have a heart like the crowds who would rather be getters than givers, abusing God's miraculous providence. How many, how many of you throughout your life have wondered, why isn't God giving me more? Or, or, or how, come, how come other people have more than I do? Or, or you go to church and you're like, gosh, I really want a good sermon. I hope Scott doesn't suck today. You'd rather be getters than givers in that situation, in all those situations. Don't abuse God's providence. Don't abuse God's providence in your life. Don't abuse God's providence in, in, in fellowship with other believers. Don't be a moocher in, in short. Be a giver. 
Be somebody who gives to the glory of God, who surrenders what, what you have, knowing that God can do what ex- exactly what he wills with it. You know, every, every week before, before I preach, I, I pray in gratitude that God's word never retor- returns void. And I, I, typically, I typically pray that because I need that reminder that whatever I'm saying, I'm not trying to say anything new. I'm just trying to say what the scripture says. Um, and I'm trying to apply it to, to your lives, to my life. And I'm grateful that every week God's word does not return void. It either, it either pushes away the hard-hearted or it, it forces us to give more of ourselves to the glory of God. Not my words, but God's word. So let's pray. Lord, you took the loaves and the fish and you fed more than 5,000 people. You were able to do that. You were able to do that without the apostles' help, but you were willing to invite the apostles in and let them participate in this plan of yours. God, you are so able. And I pray that you would allow us as First Baptist Church of Toledo to to participate in your plan, your plan across the world, your plan for our town. I pray that we would be a church in Toledo that loves Toledo, but also a church that, that, that seeks to glorify you across the globe, not for our fame, but for yours, O oh God. Take what we give, our meager offering in comparison to a lot of places, but, but take, take what we give in faith, knowing that what you can do with it is more than we could ever imagine. You can feed 5,000 out of five loaves. Just, I can't, you could, you could take the, the two copper coins from a widow and praise her for it and know that whatever it is that they're giving out of joy. And so God, I pray that you would let us be a portion of that plan. In Jesus's name, amen. We must be givers, not simply getters. We must be those who praise God for his miraculous providence. And we must be those who enjoy fellowship with one another to his glory and praise and honor.